Welcome to the Blue Side Podcast. Brought to you by Cambridge University Science Magazine. I'm Ruby. And I'm Simone. Every two weeks we speak to local researchers, university staff and students and anyone who works in science to learn about their research and activities, hear about the work that they do and uncover what goes on behind the scenes. If you want to get in touch with a question, suggestion or just want to be featured on the podcast, just drop us a tweet. Um, our handle is at BlueSidePod. And you can also email us at BlueSidePodcast at gmail.com. Hello, hello. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of our podcast. We hope that you've been enjoying our COVID-19 episode series so far, where we speak to scientists who are researching the virus right now. Uh, It's been super, super interesting for us as well. So yeah, we hope you've been enjoying those. But the coronavirus is taking up a lot of the airtime. You know, it's it's constantly in the news. We're constantly reading about it. So for this week's episode, we thought we'd bring you something a bit different, some escapism perhaps from every day. Before the lockdown, we had the opportunity to interview Dr. Anna Belcher, who is a postdoctoral researcher for the British Antarctic Survey. Uh, and she spoke to us about what it's like to, to, go, to work on the ships that go to the Antarctic to search for samples. Uh, she spoke to us about the importance of carbon capture by our seas and our oceans. And it was just so interesting to talk to her about, you know, a, lot, a part of science and a part of, of the world that we don't really, that we don't necessarily think about or have kind of the opportunity to, to learn about very often. So we hope that you enjoy the episode. Uh, leave a review or a rating if you if you do. And remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes and you know exactly when they come out. And from the next episode onwards, we'll, we'll go back to talking to scientists working on COVID-19. So you really don't want to miss any of those interviews. So do subscribe. Hello, Anna. Um, thanks for taking the time to meet with us today. Uh, you're currently a postdoc at the British Antarctic Survey in Cambridge and work as an ecological biogeochemist. Um, so first of all, could you give us a quick summary of your research and what an ecological biogeochemist actually does. <laughs> Hi, yeah, no, thanks for inviting me. So, yeah, I think it's basically because I love all types of science, so I've kind of squished every discipline into the one <laughs> title. Um, so I basically look at how the biology affects the chemistry of the ocean, so particularly looking at how um, things like the plants and the animals, like the really small animals and they're called zooplankton, can take up carbon from the atmosphere and help transfer it to the seabed. So it's all linking into kind of our climate and the ocean plays a massive role in that. So I spend a lot of time looking at um, sinking particles, so like just dead bits of plants and zooplankton, also their fecal pellets, because they all contain awesome amounts of carbon and the deeper they get in the ocean, basically, the longer you can get carbon away from the atmosphere. So I spend a lot of time looking at um, the animals and then like the sinking particles to see how much carbon these guys can transfer to the deep ocean. Um, looking at basically how much the ocean takes up and how that's important for our climate. Yeah, so so the, the ocean's actually a massive carbon sink then, yeah. in that sense. Wow, is, is, it, is the research in this field basically trying to assess the levels of that? Because is it something that we don't actually know that well? Or, yeah, so yeah. I mean, we think that the ocean's taken up about 30% of anthropogenic carbon that's been emitted in the last decade. And it's, I guess, understanding, like, how it will change as well, because as the oceans get warmer and, like, carbon dioxide levels get higher, it's trying to understand if the ocean will become a better carbon sink or it'll be weaker. 
and how we, if we change the biology, what impact does that have? And so people did some cool modeling studies a while ago that essentially if you model the ocean without the biology, then actually atmospheric carbon would probably be about 600 parts per million instead of 400 parts per million, so about 50% higher. So showing that that kind of transfer of carbon, basically like trees on land, taking mm. up carbon and storing it in the trees and the soils and stuff. You have plants in the ocean that photosynthesize, store it in their cells, and that gets transferred up the food chain, and basically stuff sinks out. And some of that then gets eaten by other things living deeper in the ocean. But if you can get it to the seabed, then essentially it can get locked away for thousands, if not millions of years. Mm. So it's all about understanding, I guess, just how much and how efficiently that carbon gets transferred and how that might change if you warm up the oceans and circulation patterns change or anything like that yeah. to understand yeah if basically the ocean is going to play as big a role in carbon uptake in the future and how that would affect our climate wow and in terms of like understanding all of that um what, what are the applications of that you know obviously on land we can plant more trees you know you go to these schemes and they're like for every like we'll plant a tree <laughs> obviously it's not that easy in the ocean so um sort of knowing sort of getting to know this information is is there anything we can really do to try and encourage the ocean to take up as much carbon as possible with all the sort of biological life in there yes yeah, so I, I guess a lot of it is just about protecting what's there i mean the ecosystems that we have do a great job with like the plants and taking up carbon so i guess it's just ensuring that we do protect these environments and that we've got like the plants and the diversity and in places like the Antarctic that we've got the krill which are a really important part of the ecosystem and might be quite a good way of transferring carbon to the deep ocean and same with fish fish especially the ones that move up and down in the water column they can take carbon with them so I think it's really about kind of protecting and things like marine protected areas because although I guess things like krill might be a good way of getting carbon to the deep ocean as with many other things it doesn't really I guess I guess it's a bonus rather than really replacing kind of reductions mm. in emissions. I think generally like trying to keep temperatures below like 1.5 and things like that is only going to be beneficial for the ocean um, and that hopefully then has a kind of nice feedback in that the ocean can then help keep taking up carbon. Yeah, so it's like a prevention's better than cure type situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm always, I don't know, there's always things like geoengineering, like whether you could seed the oceans with things like mm. iron to make the plants grow more. I'm always hesitant with that kind of thing. I feel like there's a lot we don't understand to start mm-hmm. meddling with it um, further. So I would go for, yeah, protecting what we have and trying to mm-hmm. keep that doing the job that it's doing. Yeah, that makes sense. So you, you actually go out on ships and collect a lot of your data um, out there, which I think both Simone and I find really <laughs> exciting. Like, Whoa, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so would you like to sort of tell us what your sort of typical field trips like when you go out to collect data How and what type of data? Yeah. So it really depends on the project that you're working on. I've been really lucky actually with this postdoc and I've been to see three times, no, four times now mm-hmm. on different trips. So it's kind of, I guess, once or twice mm-hmm. a year. And again, that really varies and depends on what position you have and what your project is. Um, so I've been to the Southern Ocean a few times, down to the kind of sub-Antarctic regions around South Georgia, which is an absolutely incredible place to be able to go. Because often you end up in the middle of the ocean, which is fantastic, but it's nice to have those glimpses of, of land. And with British Antarctic Survey, you often get to drop people off at the research stations. So having the chance to actually like see some of these research bases 
in South Georgia where there's people that have spent the last 18 months there and you basically unload, give them some fresh vegetables, um, <laughs> get to see some very excited faces that have not seen a fresh veg um, in many, many months. Mm -hmm. And then if you're lucky, you get to kind of scamp around and see some penguins and things. So there's a nice, I guess, element of the logistics as mm -hmm. well as the science. Um, and with the science, you probably go for about six to seven weeks and it often takes a bit of time to, to get down there. And then maybe um, we often start from like the Falkland Islands and it's about two or three days then just steaming on the ship to get to the region of South Georgia where you're looking at. So there you're kind of setting up your experiments and trying to test everything works and inevitably you've forgotten something or something's broken. So you're kind of working with the engineers on the ship or with the ones that have got a bath to try and fix things and get things um, going. And then it's just really nice actually. It's quite a simple life. You work hard, but... I guess you're in like a bubble world and you basically you're doing science, you get fed three times a day if you're on those shifts. Um, ideally you get a bit of sleep and then do some more science. Mm. Yeah, it's a really great community, I guess. Everyone's very much there supporting mm. each other. I guess if you're um, stuck on a ship with the same people, you should probably go along. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and everyone's just so helpful, I guess, because, you know, it's always like, oh, I haven't got this or, oh, I've got extra that, I can lend that to you and, oh, wait, you haven't slept for a long time, here, I can go wash those bottles for you and that kind of thing, so... Yeah, it's generally a real nice community and everyone, I guess, appreciate that it's a hard place to work because the weather's not always in your favour or kit breaks and stuff never really goes to plan, which is actually, although stressful sometimes at the time, is actually, I think, what a lot of us enjoy is that problem solving and essentially being able to bodge anything with a bit of duct tape and a cable tie or something. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's really, I think it's one of, the, one of my favourite parts about the job is getting that chance to go to sea and work with incredible people. And the ship's crew are absolutely fantastic. You know, they're all so passionate about what we do and what they do and we won't be able to do it without them you know they're there out on deck in sometimes miserable weather helping you get the equipment in and just always so so helpful um and then there's like the the cooks and stuff that just make sure you're well fed um generally too well fed recently but um <laughs> yeah it's a nice little atmosphere i think you know, it's a little community everyone wanting to help each other and yeah you don't have that great comms so it's quite nice you actually talk to each other more than you maybe do in the real world <laughs> yeah not too much time to scroll Instagram or yeah, yeah exactly you can't get half it's yeah. not worth the time with the internet <laughs> so. That's really and what kind of samples do you collect or what kind of experiments do you set up from the ship uh, so during my PhD I spent a lot of time looking at like kind of sinking carbon so like mm -hmm. dead materials so like lots of dead plant cells and a lot of fecal pellets it's, it's, it all sounds glamorous with British mm -hmm. Antarctica I spent a lot of time in a cold room just timing how long it took a krill fecal pellet to sink from the top to the bottom of a measuring cylinder um, but so some of that you use these big these big cones that you basically leave out for like a year mm -hmm. and they catch anything that's sinking down um, sometimes we're collecting just water samples um, and then looking at things like the the tiny plants that are in it and more recently because I've been looking at krill and fish and we actually do these net toes to kind of chuck this big like it's got like a five by five meter opening and you put that in for a few hours um, looking generally in the upper 1,000 metres, so you're looking at the stuff that's living in the kind of twilight zone that we call it, where there's not really much light. Um, and you get really, really cool things. So I'm not a biologist by background, and I've been amazed by what lives in the ocean. I guess I'm used to just smushing stuff up and measuring its carbon, but to actually see like some of these fish and the small krill, and I don't know what some of the other things are, but there's things that you're surprised that they're alive because they're like these tiny little amphipod things that are super clear or have these big claws and stuff mm -hmm. so that's quite fascinating to see actually what's there and to learn more about that 
Um, and that really ends up, you kind of bring the sample on and then everyone's trying to sort things and take samples from experiments or freeze things for like later analysis and that kind of thing. Um, as a very successful woman in science um, and in a field that's sort of generally sort of associated being more male orientated, well, what are your experiences in the field and how, how have you found it so far? Yeah, so I think I mean I think if you look back into like, oceanography, it's very much like male scientists, and even British Antarctica, they didn't used to send women to Antarctica, but it's very much a landscape that has changed a lot, and I think it's still changing, particularly in the kind of biology, biogeochemistry field. There's actually, yeah, when I go to see now, it's maybe fifty fifty in terms of the scientists that's like female. Sometimes you actually have more females. Mm -hmm. um, the crew was generally maybe like ninety percent male, so that. Again, I think that is still changing a bit. There's more now, like, officers that are female. Um, so it's, I think it's getting better, and I think it's kind of acknowledging that actually we can all do this kind of job. I think physical astronomy tends to be slightly behind. When you see those cruises, they are maybe slightly more male-dominated. But again, it is definitely something that's improving. Like, for me, I've, there are mentors of, like, senior scientists that are females that are doing really awesome stuff, which probably wasn't true for them, like, 30 years ago so it's nice to see that there are people that have kind of progressed through I guess kind of the ladder um, and that the postdoc and PhD level it's pretty balanced I think you generally have got both males and females it does seem to taper off a bit but hopefully that is something that's changing and I think on the ship I guess yeah there's the kind of typical like historical again male dominated atmosphere sometimes but it really has changed a lot and I think yeah, occasionally you might get looked at for being a scrawny girl and they won't expect you to be able to pick that box up or something. But as soon as you show people you can do something, then everyone's just very accepting. And I, it's only a small minority that I think would ever give you stick for being a, a woman on a ship. It doesn't really happen much anymore, which I think is really nice. It's generally just, you know, it's about your skills and mm -hmm. who you are rather than anything else. So, yeah, I guess with everything, it really depends on, like, who you've got around you. But, like, the team at Bass and the people that I've... I guess worked with previously have just always been really supportive and yeah if you're a woman it doesn't really matter you know as long as you can do something useful and ideally not break too much at sea then <laughs> then it's okay yeah so yeah I guess I don't think I've been held back by being a woman at all and I think it's only getting better mm -hmm. I think which that's, is good that's great to hear yeah, that's <laughs> so great to hear absolutely yeah I think it's yeah I guess everyone's got like conscious and unconscious bias so I guess there's some things that are still more typical like jobs that would be done by a male but yeah I think more and more now it's just everyone's equal yeah. yeah I yeah I wouldn't if you're interested in marine science I wouldn't be put off I think it's very much an open playing field for anyone mm -hmm. and even especially because you look at PhDs postdocs and it is all very mixed mm -hmm. you know and it's I guess always trying to improve things like that and ethnic diversity as well is something that marine science does definitely need to work on. It's very international, but I think it's very Western international, mm. and that is something that is kind of acknowledged and is trying to be improved to make sure we're encouraging everyone into marine science because it's fascinating. It's you know if you like sciences, you like being outdoors. It's it's a great thing to do. Yeah, yeah, and I guess one of the things that even if the field has changed and inside it, you know that there's absolutely no, maybe not no issues, but that it's fine. I think that often the perceptions that people have of, oh, these people that go on ships to the Antarctic and do their thing, like, sometimes the public perception of things might be worse than the actual yeah, thing that it is. So yeah. the fact that you're talking about it now and hopefully people will listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might, and, like, I don't know, I guess that message of, um, you know, 
telling people that actually they shouldn't be afraid of that. Or yeah. yeah. And I think it's making sure that, yeah, I don't know if you do have, like, outreach things or mm-hmm. your news articles about you are presenting, like, everyone, you know, so yeah. that you can see. I mean, you go into a school, right, and they're like, oh, I was expecting, like, a 50-year-old male man. And you're like, no, nah, it's not really scientists anymore. Scientists are very much like anyone. And especially the kind of scientists in a lab coat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I mean, we do wear lab coats when we're doing stuff with chemicals on the ship, but a lot of the time we're just in, like, big, warm, outdoor layer clothes or, like, mm-hmm. boiler suits, and it's got some great pictures of everyone in all kinds of different, like, mm-hmm. outfits, I guess. It's <laughs> not really what I'd have pictured as your kind of stereotypical scientist. And I think stuff like, I don't know, if you're interested in chemistry, I would have thought that that would have taken me to, like, a little lab with, like, conical vats and things, and actually it takes you out to the Southern Ocean where you're in some, yeah really warm semi-waterproof clothes and a helmet trying to like drag a net in to get some <laughs> some fish and look at their carbon so i think it's nice to see examples of how you can apply some of like the pure sciences in different ways which is why i like about oceanography it's got a bit of everything and yeah i think the more we i guess showcase the different people that are working there the more people will feel like you know i could do that as for anyone yeah which is and also good. like what, that they could do that with what they're doing now you know like yeah. someone's like oh i've never considered oceanography I did chemistry or I did yeah. physics or whatever and then you don't really see the path from where you are to where you could be yeah. I mean you think these people must have been somehow always fascinated by this thing <laughs> yeah. and like it's been their lifelong yeah. passion to go to the Antarctic and some people yes but other people like yeah. you said you just kind of find your way there Yeah. and knowing that those routes are open I guess is and actually like having like the chemists who have then like learnt the oceanography is super valuable because if you come at it from like the oceanography you're good and you've got like good overview of like what the physics is doing what the chemistry and biology but having someone like really understands organic chemistry or has that mm. pure knowledge and same with like mathematicians and physicists and biologists actually it's a really nice mix people come from those different backgrounds and I think that's why it works well and that everyone has got maybe training in something a bit more pure but then they're applying it in different ways mm-hmm. and you can really utilize that knowledge that everyone's got and I guess you have all these different people with all these different specializations that then yeah. can come together on that specific problem and provide yeah, different perspectives. exactly. Which I think is really great. I think that's what science is about, you know, yeah. using everyone's skills. There's no point in me trying to reinvent the wheel yourself if there's someone over there that already knows how to do it. So very much like working together. And I think oceanography is nice, especially when you're at sea, like you have to, like you struggle to try and do everything by yourself. You'd end up with no sleep and being pretty stressed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Um, well, thank you so much for chatting to us. Uh, it's been really interesting learning about what you do. Oh, no, thanks for having me. It's been yeah, fun. Thanks, thanks for tuning in this week. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and that it provided a bit of escapism from what's going on in the world right now. Don't forget to contact us with any questions, suggestions or comments through our Twitter handle, at uh, BlueSciPod, or email us on podcast at blueside.co.uk. See you next time.